Lord, I've often said in these moments that it was kind of a miss. But after singing a song like we just sang, for me to get up and say anything. Because how often do we forget that you, Jesus, died for our sins. As foul as we were, as dirty as we were, we came to you filthy. But because of your love and your grace and your mercy, we are made clean. Lord, may we never forget that we hide in you. And as we hide in you, the purpose is not to hide from the world or from the issues going on in our lives, God, but to know that we can rest assured in the safety of you as the rock in our life. Speak to us, Lord. Help us to never forget as we hear the babies in the congregation crying that you sent your baby for us. I don't know how you did that, God. But I thank you for loving me so much that you did. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I feel bad for having to preach now because <laughs> I just was floored by the words of that song. It's an old classic hymn. And there's an incredible story that if you want to know the story, ask Brad. I'll butcher it, but I'm going to try anyway. A man was, was shipwrecked or something along the lines that he was basically stranded in such a way that the only thing he had was a rock to cling to that saved his life. And as he clung to that rock, he wrote this song. And it's so important for all of us to remember that we have Christ in our lives and he is that rock that we cling to. And regardless of what the world says to us, regardless of what people tell you you are, or regardless of what people tell you who you are, if you claim Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're His. You are forever embedded in a rock that will not wither, a rock that will not fade away, that cannot be torn away. It is steady, it is firm, and it is a fact, Jack. You are one of His. And so I just, what a great reminder as we go into the stories that we're going to go into today that we have a God that loves us so much that He could take His little Son and send Him as a sacrifice for us. i got to pray again. So, Father, we love you. May we never forget that. God, sometimes we come into this place with problems and with issues on our hearts and on our minds, God, but the reality of it is, is that we have you, and it's going to be all good. And it could be a scary night waiting out on that rock for rescue. It can be scary to suffer through the things that we suffer through. And God, for some of us, it's not even your will for us to be rescued. But your plan is perfect. And help us to rest in that. Help us to rest in you. Speak words through my lips, God. May these be your words and not my own. And let us hear what we need to hear from your scriptures this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we had a great opportunity yesterday. The men's ministry of the church, we got a group of, of 
I don't know, 27 or so guys to go up to Lake Erie, and we were going to take Lake Erie, and we were going to go catch fish, and it was fantastic. It was a great day. I got windburn. I look like I have raccoon face because of that, and so as you get closer, you'll see that. But we had a great day as a men's ministry fishing yesterday. I got up there a little bit early, and as I was talking to the captain of our vessel, he actually shared with me that they're thinking about canceling the trip. And the reason why was because uh, the last two days before, uh, it was been Thursday and Friday, s- tremendous storms came through Erie. And so what happens is, is Lake Erie can actually become a very violent body of water because it's not like the ocean. The ocean flows in a direction. Lake Erie is like a bathtub that just gets really going. And so they actually said, we're probably going to have to cancel the trip because there's three, four, five-foot waves out there that just start to build, and before you know it, uh, we're in trouble. And I'm thinking, well, isn't there any way we can just, you know, go in shallow waters and this? And, and the captain looked at me and said, no matter what, we can't, we can't compromise the vessel because the moment you compromise this vessel with water or whatever, he said, we're all dead. And he said those words to me, not realizing... Um, that he was actually speaking to my sermon today. Because as we're talking about being detectable disciples in the world, we're talking about what does it look like for us as believers to be in the world, to not be of the world, but to be making an impact on the world. And it's awesome because God himself uses the word vessel when describing the body of, of, of believers, when describing the Israelites, when describing the people by whom he would reveal himself to the world. Do you know who those people are? It's us. It's the church. In the book of Ezekiel, God says in Ezekiel uh, 36, 22, that, that he has chosen the people of God to be the vessel by which he reveals his awesomeness to the world. We are that vessel. Do you realize that? And as as I think about the concept of a boat, that boat that we were on yesterday in Lake Erie, you know, we didn't want the boat to be filled with water because if the boat was filled with water, it would sink. And so I started thinking about the concept of how am I to be a Christian in the world, but not of it, not in love with it, as it tells us in 1 John, that we shouldn't be in love with the world, but we're called to help save the world through Christ. It's like this. A boat sits in the water, right? Would anybody want to debate that fact? No. A boat sits in the water. A boat does not have water in it, because if it had water in it, it would sink. It would die. It would be compromised. The boat sails towards its destination and it leaves a wake behind it that you can actually follow as you follow the boat to the destination. So as believers, we're supposed to be like this boat. We're supposed to be in the world, not filled with the world, but we're called to leave an impression in the world that leaves a wake behind that ultimately leads people to Jesus. Does that make sense? But I'm going to tell you something. The moment the vessel becomes compromising, we're all dead. Let's look at the Bible here, what it says in 1 Daniel. Pastor Ed came to us last week and preached on uh, the first chapter of Daniel. And basically what he told us is he told us the story of how Judah had been delivered into the hands of the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar came in and and, and took over and, and God had allowed the Israelites to be handed over. 
In a form of submission, Nebuchadnezzar took the relics of God out of the temple, took some of them, and he put them in in the temple of his gods, which was supposed to represent this submission thing. All right? And so what happens is, as Nebuchadnezzar starts to get these bright ideas, well, how can I really make these Israelites understand that they're inferior to us? All right? I submitted their God. Boy, was he wrong. And I'm going to submit the people now. And so what he said he was going to do was, do you remember the three things he tried to rob from them? He was going to steal their identity. He was going to rename everybody. Uh, he was going to re-educate them. All right? Do you remember that from last week when Pastor Ed talked about that? And so what happens is, is the name in the Israelite community meant a great deal. So he renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. Isn't it funny that we always refer to Daniel as his Israelite name and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by their Babylonian names? I don't know why that is. It just is what it is. Anyway, so first Daniel, we have this drama unfolding. And Pastor Ed said that, that these men, they knew who they were in God. They knew uh, that they were God's children. And they were not going to sell out. That they were going to stand firm. And so what happens is, is they were told to eat the king's food. They were told that they had to go to these new classes to learn about Babylonian culture. And they were told that they were going to get different names. And what was awesome is, is Daniel and the boys decided, you know what, we're going to be in the Babylonian culture for a while. We're going to roll with some of these waves. And so when they were given a new name, they didn't throw a humongous temper tantrum, did they? Because they knew who they were. They knew who they were because who God says they were, not because of who Nebuchadnezzar said they were. When they were going to get educated on the Babylonian culture and empire, and they were going to have to learn the languages and the literature... Hey, that's fine. We're going to be living in Babylon for a while. We'll roll with that. Maybe God can use that somehow. But then Nebuchadnezzar said to him this, I want you to eat the food from my table. Now the problem with this is, is that food had been sacrificed to other gods. And the scriptures tell these guys that you are not allowed to eat food sacrificed to other gods. And so what Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel all decided to say was, hey, we we just can't do that. They didn't get up with battle axes and baseball bats and start telling the king why he was sinful and wrong. They simply stated the fact. Our God tells us who we are. We can't do that. I remember in high school, I was in Beaver Falls High School, ninth grade, and I joined the Bible Club. That was a mistake. I joined the Bible club because I was this kid. I was struggling in my faith. I was trying to figure out who I was, and and I knew that I wanted to follow Jesus. I didn't know how to do it. I wasn't sure how to go about it. And so I joined this Bible club, and I remember there was this girl there. I'm not going to say her name because some of you may actually know her. And she was this girl that decided that she was going to walk around the school as the president of the Bible club, and she was going to let you know how big of a sinner you were. And she had like this group of hens that followed behind her and they just would pick at everybody as they walked by. Oh, you're sinful. We're going to pray for that librarian and maybe she will not be a devil worshiper. Librarian wasn't a devil worshiper. But they walked through with this attitude of we're better, look at us. And they walked through and I just, to be honest with you, I didn't want to have anything to do with that. And they turned all the people off around them. And then there was my brother, my older brother, Ben. My older brother, Ben, was what we would call at the top of the social ladder in high school. He was a a successful football player. He was what the ladies would call attractive. He he just had everything going for him. In fact, everything the guy ever touched kind of turned to gold. That was my brother, Ben, in high school. 
Um, you know, he was a party animal. He knew all the right people. He knew all this. But in his senior year, something began to work in his heart, and he began to surrender his life to God. And so as the year went on, my brother Ben started to not do some of the things he used to do. And, and his social status would wane and suffer, and people just didn't understand. They couldn't understand why this guy is all of a sudden now this Jesus hippie, and, he, and, he's, and he's going around, and he's not doing the same stuff he used to do. He's, he never really condemned people. He didn't preach at people hardcore. He simply knew who he was, who God told him he was, and he pursued that. I would love to tell you that my brother led hundreds of people to Christ in his senior year of high school, but I'll be honest with you, he didn't lead a single person to Christ, his senior year of high school. But 10 years later, when he went back to his high school reunion, he walked in the door and people began to come up to him and say, you know, Ben, I used to think you were the biggest idiot in the world because you started taking stances on things. I used to think that you were losing your mind, but three years later, this happened to me and I want you to know, I gave my life to Christ because I saw what he did in you. And person after person came up to my brother. He just did a wedding for a guy who's, who's kind of recommitted his life to Christ and, and wants to restore his marriage. He married the same girl that he divorced a couple years before. And my brother got to, persist, do, the, uh, to do the wedding. My brother's a pastor now. And it was just this amazing story of what God did through somebody who was simply obedient. My brother should have been the Bible club. And that's what I love about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. Is the reason they were able to stand firm in that first story there was because they knew who they were. They knew who they belonged to. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know who's telling you what you are. I don't know what the world is saying to you. Whether they're saying you're a liar, you're fat, you're not financially fit, you're not beautiful, or you're too stupid, or you have a learning disability. I don't know what label people are putting on you, but I know what label this puts on you. And you are God's child if you've accepted Jesus in to your heart and all of those other names all of those other things they do not matter you belong to the king and the reason why Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and Daniel could do what they did it was because they knew who they were they knew who they belonged to and it had nothing to do with them because they knew who they were they were able to be uncompromising in what they believed because they know that they didn't write the book. They know it wasn't what they were saying. They just knew that, that I belong to God, and I can't compromise on this issue. When you go to Daniel 2, we've got another story. We've got this story of, of Daniel, and what happens is, is Nebuchadnezzar has his dream. See, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, they all kind of gained favor in Babylon. And they began to climb up the ladder, so to speak. And so now they're like fortune tellers. Now they're people who are respected, who the king trusted. And the king has a nightmare, to make a long story short. This is Daniel 2, chapter 2. You're all going to get homework at the end of this, by the way. <laughs> Daniel 2, the king has a nightmare, and he says, get all my astrologer folks together. I need to figure this out. And he says to some of his astrologers, he said, okay, guys, this is my dream. He describes his dream. He says, um, you know, this is what's happening, and, and, and can anybody describe this? And at first, the, the astrologer says, oh, sure, king, we can explain what's happening. We're the wisest people in the kingdom. He says, okay, well, here's my dream. And he mm, tells the dream. 
And then it's one of these like really funny, surreal moments that we see on TV, and the astrologer goes, there's no way we can tell you what that dream means. And he goes, what are you talking about? You told me, you could tell me what my dream means. And all the astrologers said, there's not a single person in the world that can tell you what your dream means. And in a fit of rage and a temper tantrum that only a king's allowed to have, he says, fine, then I'm going to kill all of you. If not a single person, not any of my soothsayers and my astrologers and my smart guys, if none of you can tell me what this dream means, you're all dead. Go get everybody. In fact, he called the king's guard captain and he said, go get everybody. I want them all dead. So the captain of the guard, he literally starts rounding up all these smart people, all the people that the king looked to as aides, which included Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel gets to the king's guard and he says, wait, 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 wait. You don't have to do this. I can tell you what that dream is. The king's guard goes, really? You can tell me? You can tell the king about his dream? And he says, absolutely. Just get me in front of the king. I will take care of this. Remember, Daniel knows who he is. He knows who he belongs to. He knows what he is. And so they take Daniel in front of the king. And the king's guard is standing there all excited and macho and feeling good because he just solved the king's problem. And he says, oh, king, I give you the man who can tell you your dream. And this is what Daniel does. He steps up to the king and he says, I can't tell you your dream. (laughs) Are you kidding me? You just told me you could tell the king. We're all dead. But Daniel says this, I can't tell you your dream, but I know the one who can. He is the real God. He's the God of Israel. And through me, he can tell you your dream. And boom, he goes off. He tells the dream. There's something that Daniel did right in that moment. Remember, Daniel knew whose he was. He was confident. He was uncompromising because he knew who he was, who he, yeah, who he belonged to, and he knew he was uncompromising. And the reason why he was able to be unconfidently or confidently just unshaken was because Daniel did something that we all should do. He pointed in the right direction. When he came before the king, he didn't go, Oh, king, give me thousands of lands on all the seven realms of Westeros. Give me all of this. He didn't say that. He said, I can do nothing, but God can do it all. And so many times in our lives, even as believers, we try to do things in our own power. And let me tell you, you are not powerful. Neither am I. Neither is Daniel. But what made these guys so remarkable is they knew they belonged to God They could have an uncompromising faith because they knew where to point. And Daniel pointed to God. The third thing that they were able to do was they lived righteously. And I want to talk about this a little bit because sometimes as the church, we become those Bible club leaders that walk around like hens pecking at everybody, thinking it's our job to judge. We think it's our job to condemn people, to be the sin scale for the world. But the reality of it is that we're not. We're simply called to be willing vessels to do whatever God wants us to do. Did you hear me? We're not called to put the wind in the sails. We're not called to create the fish. The disciples, when they were told to feed the 5,000, said, how are we going to feed 5,000? He said, I didn't ask you to feed 5,000. I asked you to get the fish. I'll feed the 5,000. I just need folks who are willing to do what I say I need them to do. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to be obedient. He wants us to point in the direction of him. We are called 
by God to be his obedient servants. We are called to be a willing vessel and nothing more. We are called to recognize that we are his. We are called to recognize that we are not to compromise. We are not to compromise as believers and we're to live righteously. And when we walk around penhacking, thinking it's in our power, we are not living righteous lives. We are living self-righteous lives. And I think this is an area we as a church may struggle with as the most, as we, we think we're doing all this good, and we think we're, look at us, look how great we are, look at, look at what our church has done, but the reality of it is, is that's not what it's about. The righteous life is being willing to be who God made you. The righteous life will, will have fruits of the Spirit as a result. Do you know what the fruits of the Spirit is? They're this, they're love, joy, peace, forbearance or bearing with one another, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As believers, we are called to be nice. I know that's hard sometimes. We're called to not be judgmental. We're not called to be the judge. What Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, they did right was when it came time for a problem, they knew who they belonged to, they did not compromise, and they were righteous in the way that they responded. Does that make sense? They could have thrown a temper tantrum, they could have thrown a fit, but they didn't. They responded with wisdom, the Bible tells us. They responded with thought, and they responded with prayer. And I'm going to tell you what, church, if we can become a body of believers who honestly believes we are who we say we are, which is the children of God, we're going to see God do some amazing things. If we can become a people that aren't compromising because we know that we're not good enough, that nothing we ever do is going to be good enough, you are never going to be successful, but God through you can be. That takes a lot of pressure off, folks that you need to rely on his strength and put these things down and let him carry them. We need to know who we are, uncompromising in our faith, and we need to do this with a righteous love that is not self-promoting, that is, that is not making us look good, but just simply points to God. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told in Daniel chapter 3, to bow before a golden image of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar just really doesn't get it, does he? <laughs> In chapter 3, they're so, they said, we want you, every time you hear this horn blow, we want you to bow, we want you to worship Nebuchadnezzar's idol. We're not going to do it. They didn't stand there with megaphones and picket signs, yelling and screaming. They simply were who they were. They weren't going to compromise, and they responded with respect, and they responded with love. And that was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they responded to everything. You all know the story. If you don't, ask your kids because they know it. Those three were hauled up and thrown into a fiery furnace where it says it was so hot that the guards that threw them in died. And that when they looked in to check on them, see if they were dead, they saw a fourth person walking around. And I'm going to tell you right now, God's not always going to deliver you from a fiery furnace. But sometimes he will. And this is one of those moments where God did a miraculous thing. He delivered him from the fiery furnace. Each one of us, we have that furnace in our life, that thing 
that thing we're afraid of, that we're afraid if we take a stand or if we do what's right or if, or if we, we do the right thing at work or if we're honest, we're afraid that there's going to be a fiery furnace in our future. I'm going to tell you what, folks. If you know who you belong to and you do not compromise and you live in a righteous, a truly righteous way, that fiery furnace has nothing on you because you belong to God. And he will take care of you. He will protect you. He will guide you. And the fruit that will happen all around you is you will demonstrate love, patience, peace, kindness, and you are going to have people asking you, what is different about you? Why is it that you can live life this way? And just like the boat heading towards the shore, you can point north and say, because of Jesus. And God will provide you opportunities to share your faith if you get busy following him. Does that make sense to everybody? Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you. First, we thank you for all those stories in Daniel, those true accounts of your servants who they knew that they belonged to you. They knew that they were God's child and they did not let any foreign name put on them to find them. I thank you that they were uncompromising because they knew what they believed and why they believed in God and they trusted you. As you said, trust me, they did. I thank you, God, that when they led, they led with a spirit of righteousness that was pure, not self-promoting, not damaging to others but it constantly pointed north to you, God. Help us, God, because the moment that we as a vessel come, become compromised, we're all dead, Lord. Help us, to be, help us to be a vessel that just goes forward and spreads the name of Jesus and leaves a wake that is worthy to be left behind. We just thank you, God, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.